Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everybody? Welcome into this episode of Flippin' Bats where we talk to Joe Musgrove, starting pitcher for the San Diego Padres, who... I got to know very well in the minor leagues. We played against each other, played with each other when he was in the Astros organization, and a good friend of mine now, and talked to Joe Musgrove about playing against each other, his off-season trip to Antarctica where he set a world record. We'll talk all about that. I talked to him about the history he made here in San Diego and that infamous moment in the playoffs where the umpire stopped the game, <laughs> come up to him, and caressed his ear. But there's so much more to that story. So without further ado, here's the interview. He swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field, it is gone, home run, and a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. All right, we're here with Joe Musgrove, starting pitcher for the Padres. First off, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, look at us, dude. We've come a long way from playing in Connecticut and uh, Dodd Stadium to the big leagues. (laughs) Oh, wait, what, you guys (laughs) played against each other? That's how I know him so well. I didn't know you knew him so well. Okay, I love all the connections we're having here right now. A couple games out there. Yeah, responsibly. Of course, absolutely, yeah. I walked eight miles back to our hotel after I lost all my money at like 5 in the morning one night, though. That's my story about Connecticut. Wait, that's real? Oh, yeah. Eight miles? And, uh, me and our, our, our trainer, I won't mention his name at the time, but uh, yeah, our strength coach, me and him spent all night there, and we ended up walking home. The visiting team hotel. <laughs> Lost all our money. And the visiting team home hotel is nowhere close to the No, not team. at all. No, it's deep. It's deep. <laughs> uh, Joe, I got to ask about this offseason for you. Baseball season is so long. Most people take, like, a trip to Bora Bora or Hawaii or something. You went to Antarctica. Yeah. How did that come about? Yeah, a little outside the box. I, uh, I actually met a guy out on a fishing trip last year during the season, and we became really good friends in a short amount of time on that trip and uh, went together and got dinner one night with the girlfriends, and uh, he was telling me about what he did, and I was kind of just getting to know him. And uh, he told me about how he had moved down to South America to do a year of travel after he got out of the military and uh, ended up staying for like six years and never came back and uh, was ordered a van that he was going to drive from the tip of Argentina all the way up through California and just hit that whole stretch all the way up and kind of like van life it. So uh, he was sitting in a parking lot waiting for parts at the dock where this ship took off from Ushuaia that would go to Antarctica. And they asked him to go on this trip. And long story short, he ended up working for them for years as like a travel agent and a guide on those tours. So he was telling us about that and kind of a bucket list trip for my girlfriend and myself. And uh, we decided to wrap in a a charity aspect and involves uh, Challenge Athlete Foundation, who's a group in San Diego that uh, provides prosthetics, wheelchairs, uh, travel expenses, anything you need for people that have limb deficiencies and want to continue to you know, live out their dream through sports. Um, they provide all the things that they'll need to continue to do that. So we partnered with them. We did a fundraiser, raised uh, close to 100000 in one wow. night and was able to use those funds wow. to take a couple That's of the awesome. athletes and some of their team with us out there. So you threw a pitch up there, right? We did, yeah. We, were, <laughs> you know, we weren't getting as much traction as we thought we would initially with the yeah. whole idea of the trip and selling it as a trip with Joe Musgrove and the yeah. CAF athletes down there. So we threw a little twist in there and decided to set a world record for the fastest pitch on the continent of Antarctica. And 
Uh, I mean, the process of going through the paperwork and all the clearances and regulations we had to do to to be able to throw the pitch down there was about four no or five way. months of work. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, everything from, you know, picking up the right backdrop and making sure that there was going to be no animals harmed in the way that the yeah. ball wouldn't be lost. I mean, a limit of five throws only. Um, so it was, it was a big <laughs> process, but it turned out oh perfectly goodness. and it went really well. That's awesome. Oh, that's so yeah. awesome. Now, growing up here in San Diego, I know you're a big music fan, specifically a Pepper fan. You got their Skull you know Cadets it, man. You know tattooed it. on your wrist, so I got a little a little message for you from the boys. Oh, let's see it. Brother Musgrove, love you so much, my man. Keep crushing it this season. Those Skull Cadets on your glove hand are just <laughs> red hot always. Pepper Ohana is in full effect. Musgrove, all the love. All right. Dude, they are the greatest people ever. You know that firsthand. They're Your awesome family. people, man. Your family immediately. Is Absolutely, so yeah. And it's a good spot too. Every time I'm in, every picture I have, it's it. like first thing right in the frame. So yeah. It's so epic. Yeah. Now, now that the Chargers are out of San Diego, you guys are the main show in town. Yeah. Being born and raised here in San Diego, what's it like for you to be playing for the hometown team and then to have an ownership group that's so invested in this team? Yeah, I mean, you said it right there. I mean, the idea of playing for your hometown team as a kid growing up is everyone's dream and you get to the big leagues. And I think I'm fortunate to have taken the path I did where I spent a few years in Houston as like a rookie with a bunch of big name players and, you know, got the experience of, you know, what the big leagues is like and then got to take some of the stuff I learned there over to Houston or over to Pittsburgh for three years and try yeah. to develop my game a little bit, got back in the starting rotation. And then came here as a, a well-rounded big leaguer and, you know, got my opportunity in my hometown at a time where the team's the best it's been and, you know, the, the history of the team probably, you know, aside from some of those Tony Gwynn years, um, the most exciting time for baseball in San Diego. And, um, yeah, I just feel super fortunate. And like I said, coming at this time in my career as, the, as opposed to coming up here as a rookie, you know, running amok at 23, 24 years old in my hometown, it might have been a mess, but uh, I think everything's worked out well and I just feel super fortunate to have a chance to play here. I imagine you, did you grow up a Chargers fan? Yeah, absolutely. Chargers, Padres. I was like a hometown kid. Just grew up so watching. You experienced them leaving town. Obviously, it wasn't that long ago. I think six, seven years ago they leave. But you experienced a hometown team leaving, similar to what's kind of going on in, in Oakland right now with with the A's leaving. It's all but a done deal. What are what are those fans feeling right now that are going to be losing a hometown team? Yeah, it's extremely frustrating. Um, you know, as a fan, you, you want nothing but an entertaining product to go watch every night, especially yeah. with the cost of, of going to a game and buying your family drinks and tickets and parking. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not a it's not a cheap expense. So guys want to go to a game and have a good experience. And, you know, in a city like San Diego, there's so many fun things to do and so much cool stuff to do that teams aren't going to go to the field every night and watch a losing team. So, you know, I, I feel for, for those fans there to be you know, putting in year after year of, you know, support and, and just waiting for that moment of, of a good product on the field. I know they yeah. had a stretch of, of good baseball yeah. in Oakland. Um, so those fans know what it's like. And everyone that plays baseball know what that atmosphere is like in Oakland when that place yeah. is rocking. It's one of the best. So, um, yeah, I mean, heartbreaking for those fans. And yeah. I know they're going to be very frustrated and stuff. But uh, I thought yeah. it was cool to see everybody come out yeah. the other night and support and, and show that they do still have love for baseball in Oakland. When I think San Diego, as a baseball guy, my mind goes to Tony Gwynn. And today is the nine-year anniversary of, of him passing away. You growing up here, rooting for the Padres, growing up watching him play, what does Tony Gwynn mean to you? I mean, he's everything. He was a role model for us. If you're a kid in San Diego, was, him and Trevor Hoffman were the two guys that people came to watch. You know, you came to watch Tony hit, and you stayed till the ninth to hear Hell's Bells and watch Trevor shut the door. So 
Um, I grew up on that, and you know, as a kid, you fall in love with Tony for the baseball player and you know the excitement that he brought on the field. And then as you get older, you start to see his impact in the community and the things that he did in, in his town and in the, in the way that he took care of the people from the city he was playing in. Um, you know, being a kid from San Diego, playing in my hometown, now I have a chance to kind of follow in his footsteps and, and you know, do some things for the community and for the city of San Diego that, you know, can, you know, really improve things here. Did he recruit you at San Diego State? He was the coach there when... Yeah, he did. I was a sophomore in high school and my dad got sick and I had some great issues and whatnot. And he was on me as a, you know, as a prospect to maybe come That's to San Diego cool. State. That's and, great. Um, um, you know, he came out and talked with me for a long time, and you know, we talked about family. We talked about, um, you know, the work ethic and the program that he's running over at San Diego State, and it was a perfect fit for us. So yeah, he was the one that recruited me out of high school, That's and I think sweet. he passed away and uh, would have passed away in the years that I had been there had I gone yeah. to school. But I ended up signing out of high school and taking yeah. that. It's really cool to hear just how much this city and this community means to you growing up here, and you made history throwing the first no-hitter in franchise history for the Padres. What do you remember <laughs> from that night? If you remember, like, the moment, kind of take us through it. Yeah, I mean, it was mayhem. I mean, I've never gotten that close to a no-hitter in my life. You know, <laughs> Little League, travel yeah. ball all the way through. You so, faced uh, me for nine straight innings. Yeah, and, 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 you know, <laughs> as you're coming through those last final outs, like, you're doing everything in your power to not think about the fact that the no-hitter's on the line. You know, you're just trying to focus on getting outs, and you're kind of in this zombie mode of just, like, complete focus and not paying attention to the yeah. outside stuff. Um, and then you get that last out and it's just an eruption. I mean, it, it felt like a World Series type celebration on the field. I know how much it meant to the fans of San Diego. And I think that's been the most enjoyable part is, you know, over the, the two years since that moment happened, you know, being able yeah. to see people on the streets or see people out at a restaurant and have to, the chance to sit with them and them tell me their story of where they were when the final out was yeah. recorded yeah. and how long they've waited and the moment they shared with their kids. It's uh, that's the most exciting part of it all. You know, the accomplishment's cool and they all be in the history books, but like those moments and those memories that people created in that moment was was the best part of it. Up there with the best part of it had to be No No Joe, the double IPA that came out of this. How did that happen? Yeah, dude, a lot of cool things came from that. It's, uh, it's funny, I was talking with uh, the resident brewing team yeah. uh, about a week before that road trip. And uh, they had actually talked about how I think Mason Aleworks had done a beer with Clevenger, and they're like, we can't let them be the only guy in San Diego with the player's <laughs> beer, so yeah. we got to make one for you. I said, you know what, we're heading out on our first road trip. Let me get that out of the way. When we come back, we'll sit and talk. And then that first game on the road, I threw the no-hitter. Yeah. So he texted me the next day. He's like, I don't mean to rush you here, but now's the time to go. we got to make a move <laughs> on this thing. So uh, I got to go in uh, into the brewery and, and help pick out the hops, pick out the flavoring notes and stuff. And uh, Oh, so you were invested in yeah, it. Yeah, like I got, to, I got to be it. part of brewing that cool. first batch of it. Do you it. like it now that it's It's incredible. Done? Yeah, it's actually really – it's a double IPA, so it's a little stronger. Yeah. But uh, – her flavors yeah. are incredible. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure I get you guys some before you leave. I got some stocked up in the clubhouse. Uh, I love it. Well, let's talk about this season because there was extremely high expectations for this team coming into this year. Got off to a little bit of a rocky start, but it seems like things are starting to turn around a bit. How have you seen this group kind of come together to make that shift? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the expectations are there. We've tried to, you know, remove the expectations from what are the fans expecting, what's the city expecting, what's yeah. baseball expecting of us, and kind of switch that to, you know, what are the expectations we have for ourselves and in, like, in our daily work. You know, the expectations should be that we're going to show up on time, we're going to show up prepared and ready to work, and we're going to give all our effort. Those are the type of expectations that we have for ourselves. And we figure if we knock those things out and check those boxes that the results will start to follow. And I think early on we were – 
you know, maybe a little bit caught up in the fact that we did have so much power on our team, you know, yeah. that, you know, we were going to drive the long ball and we were going to score our runs through slugging. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have that out of the gate. You know, a lot of our guys scuffled. I don't know how much of that is, um, you know, having new guys in the lineup, you know, some new faces and stuff or guys doing the WBC and maybe not feeling quite as prepared. We had some injuries and, you know, things lingering. I know Bogey was going through it for a long time. Um, you know, so we got a little caught up in that. But I think lately down this last week or two, we've been doing the small things, you know, right, paying attention to detail. Our defense and pitching has been really, really good all year. Um, we've just struggled to find some consistency in, in our offense. So um, we've been doing, the, the, you know, the little things right. We're moving runners over, hitting the ball the other side of the field. We're, you know, we're laying off those tough pitches now. I think we're just putting together all, you know, all around better at bats and kind of passing that baton to the next guy. I got to ask about Tatis. He's one of the most exciting players in the world. But he moves from a position in shortstop to right field and immediately becomes one of, if not the best, defensive right fielders in the game of baseball right now. How does he do that? I mean, that's not easy to just switch positions at the major leagues and become one of the best. No, and I think people undervalue that because, you know, as as the everyday fan that watches baseball, you know, you think a professional athlete would be capable of, you know, playing a position. You're doing the same thing. You're catching the ball. You're throwing the ball. Um, you know, but there's very different responsibilities. There's yeah. um, different reads to take. Reading the ball off the ground compared to reading the ball in the air is very different. Understanding, you know, the stadiums that you're playing in and the flow of wind is the ball pushing back towards play, is it pushing out of play? There's so many things that people don't, you know, see and realize. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Toddy's one of the fastest adjusting people I've ever seen at the positions that he's played. Um, if you saw him when he first adjusted to right field, it was. You know, very choppy as far as yeah. getting to the ball and breaking down and tracking it. Yeah. Um, he had that feeling of wanting to constantly make that outrageous play, you know, so he had a few, you know, errant throws or he's throwing to the wrong base, trying to be over aggressive. Yeah. And just his IQ over the last couple months of like being aware of where guys are at, the internal clock of how much time he has to get rid of the ball, um, you know, getting it to the right bases, doing the little things like hitting the cutoff man instead of overthrowing and trying yeah. to get the big out. You know, all the little things that you see the best outfielders do, he's starting to do those things, and he's been one of the best. I mean, the game he had the other night was one of the most impressive single-handed games yeah. I've ever seen. I think a homer, a couple doubles, a walk, yeah. two stolen bases. Nobody's ever had a game I mean, like that it was history. outrageous. He yeah. single-handedly could have won us that game. So yeah. uh, it's just it's fun to watch, man. You get something exciting with him every night. How about you? How are you doing? I saw you threw well the other night. I yeah. saw a report come out. You're dealing with elbow. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, I've just been, I've been hit by all these funky little injuries this year. You know, yeah. I broke the toe in spring with the kettlebell. Yeah. My stupid ass was running. Sorry for the language. My I was running on the field barefoot out in Mexico. Burned my feet out there. Um, you know, my rehab start back. I throw a ball, fall, and sprain my AC joint. I've got this elbow thing going on. So I feel like I've just been dealing with these constant little things. That's kind of taken away from my ability to go out there and focus on the execution and development of pitching as opposed to spending all my time in the training room just trying to get healthy enough to be out yeah. on the field. So yeah. I feel like I'm starting to hit a little bit of a stride here, finding my rhythm, um, you know, starting to settle in. A lot of my preparation work, I missed all of spring, so I really built myself up and got ready in, in you know, real games down in AAA. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the ideal setup, but I feel like I'm starting to find my stride yeah. a little bit. we got to put, like, little bumpers on you. I know, <laughs> so you're right? you got to bubble wrap me now. Let's go back to the playoffs, though. When you're on the mound, facing the Mets, the umpire stops the game <laughs> to come and give your ear a nice little <laughs> massage there. We were hysterically laughing. Just take us through what was going through your mind as this is going down. Yeah, I mean, I, would, I was so locked in in that moment. That was, you know, the most stressful preparation I've ever had for a start, you know. <laughs> um, not only the fact that it's an elimination game and our yeah. season's hanging in the balance, but I'm the hometown kid that gets the ball in the biggest situation of the year and um, a do-or-die game. and. Just the emotion going through that game. It's something I haven't told many people, but somebody, you know, got a hold of my cell phone number and that got passed around a little bit. So I got 
20, 30 Jesus. calls oh in the middle gosh. of the night. I turned my phone off. My hotel phone started ringing, just people trash talking and <laughs> telling me how much I'm going to suck the next day. So uh, that rattles me up a little oh, bit. Oh, this was the and night before. This was the night before my start at like 2, 3, and I unplugged the hotel phone. Um, yeah, it was just a, a lot of stress leading up to that start. But in that moment, man, I was so focused and so locked in. I didn't feel like there was anything that could take me off, you know, my game. But mm -hmm. um, I didn't have anything to worry about. I knew I had nothing for them to find. So yeah. they were coming out yeah. I, I, in, in the moment. You know, you're so aware of everything, like hyper aware that yeah. I saw it as, as a tactic to throw me off or switch up the rhythm. And I just kind of tried to focus on it and then worry about that stuff after the game. I think it's kind of ironic. They've had two guys get popped since then. But uh yeah, I mean, it's it's baseball. I get it. You know, as a manager, he's doing everything he can to give his team a chance and, and keep them in the game. So, um, you know, I, I don't hate it. It's what it, it is. It looked like it, it locked you in and motivated you even more. Yeah, after I mean, that. my stuff got better from that moment yeah. on. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe that's what I needed that last little push to get <laughs> exactly. those last six outs. Yeah. Uh, last one for you. You're opening up your own training facility here? I am, yeah. Me, me and my, tra my trainer, Jono, uh, we've been training together since 2014. And uh, when I first met him, he was working under somebody else, EM Speed and Power, and uh, he'd been working for them for a while, and he wanted to move on and kind of open up his own spot and kind of run things the way he wanted to. And uh, we moved into like a 2,000 square foot facility. In between the move, we had an off season where we didn't have a gym at all. So we yeah. were training out on the beach with kettlebells mm -hmm. and med balls. We were borrowing gym space from whoever we could. but. His training has been so good and my career has just taken off since I started working with him that That's awesome. we always had the idea of opening up a facility, you know, with the ideal size and spacing and the proper PT and all the things that we yeah. would want in one space. And, uh, you know, I signed my contract and financially now I'm in a spot where I'm able to do that. So uh, we got a lease to a building in January and we're planning on opening up July 6th. It's, awesome. called, it's called Symbiotic Training Center. Um, it's going to be up in Miramar. but. It's a one-stop shop for everything, man. We got PTs, massage therapists, acupuncture. We have a hydrotherapy room, recovery oh, room, uh, like 6,500 feet of square feet of training space. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a full it's a full deal, man. It's really really sweet. So we're planning on opening that up. But the idea is to you know to get the San Diego athletes, you know the kids coming through middle school, high school. Um, give them an idea of you know the things that it requires on a daily basis to be a professional baseball player. You know yeah. the not only the weight room work, but um, you know the PT, you know shoulder therapy work, yeah. uh, the recovery type things, nutrition. Um, we plan on covering all those things there and kind of giving people the opportunity to come in the building, get your workout, your PT, your recovery all done in one spot. So. Yeah. So that's awesome, man. I'm so pumped for everything for you. Uh, yeah. Keep killing it, man, and thanks for joining us. I today. appreciate it, guys. A pleasure. Yeah. All right, buddy. See ya. I just wanted to thank Joe Musgrove again for joining us. That was a blast of a conversation. The guy, he's just an all-time human. Played against him. His trip to Antarctica was, was awesome, Epic. by the way. Great trip. His brewery. I know I drank it. I, I no, drank no, it Joe. Good. No, no, Joe. Yep. Check IPA. it out. It was great. Resident Brewing. That was awesome. But Joe Musgrove, really good guy. Thanks again for him to for joining us. And make sure you check out our Monday episode. We're also going to have a Monday bonus episode where we talk to Blake Snell. And then our Tuesday first episode will also come from here, from Petco Park. A lot of stuff from down here so in San Diego. Content. This has been an absolute blast. Make sure you guys are following along everywhere on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We're on YouTube at Flippin' Bats Pod for all of it. And also make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever, at Flippin' Bats Pod for all of them. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, my friends, peace.